Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Billboard Chart Beat Podcast, Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. Here in New York, and uh, really excited about our guest this week on the podcast. Uh, it's Sean Mendez' manager, Andrew Gertler. He's coming up. We've never had a manager on the podcast before, so our first question is going to be, what does a manager do? Because we don't know. And then uh, we'll get into Sean's career and how he started uh, from Vine covers to... Uh, being uh, number one uh, on so many uh, charts at this point. So that's coming up as uh, a main uh, part of the podcast this week. Uh, as usual, uh, we'll look at uh, what's going on on the charts, uh, on the Billboard Hot 100 this week. Lots of action. Uh, some some rock moves, new highs for, for other uh, artists on, on various charts. Kind of a just kind of bounce around to some different chart news uh, going on this week. Uh, country uh, superstar uh, does something this week he hadn't done in 10 years. So we'll get into all that. And uh, Halloween is coming up, Trevor. So we're going to flash back to Halloween on the charts many years ago. And when we do, Trevor, I have a uh, maybe a, a ghost story coming up when we get there. I, uh, True story. Oh, okay. Um, I'm, I would say interested. Scared would be the, the appropriate oh, response. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's entirely fitting as well. I'm very scared about all of this. Different uh, scared than you are. Let's get to this week's Billboard Hot 100's Top 10. 10, 9, 8, Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Number ten. Number nine. Number eight. Who's every time you hurt me the less that I cry? And every time you leave me the quicker these tears dry. Number seven. Number six. Boys start they talking right as that booty play. 
up your people. Texas, Puerto Rico, Milans to Mexico. Number five. You always riding in the backseat. Now I'm smiling from the stage while you were clapping in the nosebleed. Number four. Number three. And when you stare at your reflection, finding open who it is, I know that you'll thank God you. I know where you've been, where you are, where you're going. I know you're the reason I believe in life. What's the day with number two? Comfortable, look. I don't dance now, I make money moves. Say, I don't gotta dance, I make money move. If I see you now, speak, that means I don't fuck with you. And number one. And bringing us out uh, for the second week in a row, we got Post Malone and 21 Savage with Rockstar. Uh, so the song, of course, hitting number one last week for the first time, holding strong at the top spot, uh, really showing strong growth across the board. I mean, there, there's there's up in radio, it's up in sales this week, and streams. So Post Malone having a nice, nice little lead over there. Uh, number two, as you guys heard right before that, was Cardi B, Bodak Yellow, which had been number one for the three weeks before Rockstar. Post Malone is up in all metrics, uh, streaming, uh, airplay, and sales. Cardi B is down in all metrics. So uh, 9% gain uh, for Rockstar this week in all uh, metrics. Cardi B is down 8%. So really a pretty big uh, gap at this point. And if you look uh, a little bit further, uh, Logic at number three is is gaining slightly. Uh, Portugal the Man, Imagine Dragons, uh, Mijente, they're, they're all gaining this week, but not on any kind of level that they look like they're uh, challenging Post Malone yet. It, it has a pretty good lead, so maybe this is uh, the song that's going to be number one for a little bit. And like you're saying, I mean, we have a few rock hits, and rock really has not you know, been been a number one genre for quite some time, so it seems like maybe the next number one, um, as we've see, seen a couple times with Taylor Swift and other artists this year, will be something that is coming out of the woodwork. Maybe a Despacito kind of surprise coming, but doesn't seem like anything is kind of bounding up the charts right now that you can point to and say, uh, this is going to be one to watch. Yeah, and I think what's most interesting, we have a song called Rockstar at number one. So if you're just looking at the title, you might think rock is, is big, but of course it's a hip hop song. I really don't think anyone's going to look at the title that simplistically and say, if you oh, didn't yeah, know, it's Rockstar. If you rock didn't know, huge. if you took someone from, from the 1970s, brought them in here and said, Rockstar's number one, they wouldn't say, it's a hip-hop song. They might not know what hip-hop is, I'll say I it's guess. 19, First of all, Gary, that's horribly biased because it's 1970. Yeah, give me like 1995 at least. What would 1995 guys say? I could see that. I mean, I don't know. With a name like 21 Savage, it would be kind of hard. I mean. Savage could be a uh, Rocky kind of a name. I, I, I guess it could. We need to get a guest from the 90s, a guest from the 70s to prove our point. Uh, well, you're the booker, so I'll let you mm. – uh, handle those. But yeah, I'll be excited to see next week who you pull out from the 90s and no, 70s. Not sure I'm that good. So the other uh, angle that we're rock actually is uh, doing well, uh, officially, totally, is that uh, two uh, rock bands are in the top five uh, together for the first time in 10 years, Portugal the Man and Imagine Dragons. We had to go back to uh, 2007, the last time that happened for Follow Boy. This ain't a scene, it's an arms race. And Daughtry, it's not over. It's February 2007. So uh, 
you know, it's interesting because uh, they're both in the top five. You might think Rock is is kind of having a moment again for the first time, and it is. But if you look further than that, it's not like there's a whole lot else suddenly playing into the trend. It's it's partly coincidence that they both happen to be in the top five. They're both pretty poppy. Imagine Dragons are also uh, at number 14 with Believer. But uh, beyond that, if you, if you go to the, the, the Hot Rock Songs chart, uh, you're seeing uh, stuff like the Revivalists' Wish I Knew You, which uh, didn't uh, crack uh, the upper reaches of the Hot 100. It peaked fairly low. And then you see uh, still a lot of Tom Petty songs that have come back uh, after his passing. So we, it, it's kind of top-heavy with these two rock hits. Great for rock, great that it's uh, back for variety, back in the top five. But uh, to expect more, to expect that this is uh, suddenly a trend where we're going to see a lot more rock in the top five or top ten, probably not happening at the moment. Well, I mean, one thing we know about trends is you always, of course, have to have sort of the predecessors and the, the ancestors. And so maybe this is one of those moments where, you know, in, in who knows, three, four, five years, maybe this is the point we look back and say, oh, well, maybe this is where the tide started to shift back to a, a more rock-favorable climate. And five years from now, when I don't know, um, give me a great made-up rock band name. Yemi, our producer, give us a good rock band name. Is this like Madlib? I'm yeah, yeah. dreaming oh. death. That's so <laughs> hardcore. We're learning about you, Yemi. All right, <laughs> we'll, we'll ride with it. So maybe in in three four years, when dreaming death is having some hits on the Hot 100, we might be able to say, hey, you know this. This door was opened up a few years back, uh, thanks to Portugal the Man and Imagine Dragons. Which, of course, you know, if someone had told me five years ago, I mean, Imagine Dragons was already a thing, and I guess Portugal the Man was as well. But I didn't know who Portugal the Man was. So right. if you told me Portugal the Man is the name of a band that's gonna have a hit, I'd be like, okay, that's not okay. We should okay, Google Dreaming Death, see if they're actually a band. Let's see what we got. I, you know, it's probably gonna bring up some sort of like psycho psychoanalysis or something. Dreams about death may indicate the symbolic ending of something, whether that's a phase, a job, a relationship, or it can also indicate attempts to resolve anxiety or anger directed towards the self. I can probably tell you that we should get back to uh, something we do know a little bit more about, which are the Billboard charts. And uh, continuing our recap of the top 10, um, you guys will heard at number six. Gary, you want to say something? No, I was just going to say, do, do I have to know uh, book uh, Dreaming Death from 2022? Do, do I have to add them to my list? Uh, yeah, you should, you should probably get started on that. Get them, get them while they're young, you know? But yeah, back to, back to this week's uh, top 10 as well. Uh, Demi Lovato at number seven. Uh, sorry, not sorry. Jumping back up two spots after being number nine last week. Uh, number seven, a new career high for Demi. So she's never been this high in the Hot 100 before. Um, this song, obviously, doing huge things for her. Also... Um, a super radio hit for becoming number one this week on our pop songs chart, which means it's the most played song um, across the mainstream top 40 panel that we have. So her second number one on that chart uh, over five years ago since she had her first number one, Give Your Heart a Break. So in a lot of ways, this is sort of a, a Demi 2.0. I think that a lot of people are really excited about this song. They, a lot of people really fans and just outside observers thinking it's probably her best single of her whole career. And luckily for her, the results are showing that, too. And a song we heard uh, kicking off the top ten, uh, former number one for three weeks, uh, Taylor Swift, Look What You Made Me Do, down from number four to number ten. Uh, some interesting moves this week for, for this song. So it got to number one on pop songs last week. It got to number five on the overall radio songs chart last week. Uh, it's down from number one to seven on pop songs. And it's down from number five to number 20 
on on radio songs. That's it's actually both record falls for number one on pop songs and from out of the top five. The push is now on to uh, Ready For It, which I'm starting to see now in emails from the label as uh, they're really pushing it as the next single at radio. So uh, I think they, they kind of went as far as they could with the song, and now they're on to the next song. And then we have a Gorgeous uh, out uh, at retail, the audio video. So that'll debut on the Hot 100 next week. Well, look, when you, you know when you're an artist as uh, who's had as many W's in her career as Taylor Swift has, you can you can take an L if you want. If you want to consider this an L, that, that it's kind of backed up on radio, I think everyone... I don't know. I think everyone tries to excuse it a little too much. It's, you know, hey, it's okay. It's okay if everything doesn't work for her all the time. When you start to fall, you hold on to your pride. Start feeling of you also never let her get inside. You'll push her away, because that's all you know how to do. And then she'll leave, and you won't beg her not to go. And uh, one more song uh, to get to on the Hot 100 this week, uh, down at number 98. Garth Brooks is back on the Hot 100 for the first time in 10 years. Uh, goes top 10 on the country airplay chart, also his first top 10 uh, in 10 years. I feel like he, he kind of updated his sound a little bit on this on this song. I, I think uh, uh, recording a song that sounds a little bit more in the vein of what country is right now, totally connected. Uh, the other thing that's interesting about uh, Garth Brooks and the Hot 100, unless you really uh, know the, the charts, you'd never guess what his biggest Hot 100 hit is in his career. Lost in You, 1999, debuted and peaked at number five. It's his only top 40 hit, and it was this billed. Chris Gaines yeah, it was billed life. Garth Brooks as Chris Gaines, his rock alter ego that was going to be in a movie that never materialized, so people kind of think that, what was Garth doing then? It's actually, it was a good song. It was a pretty good album. It just it never got past the uh, people kind of wondering if he just... Got got a little, little too far out there. Little that. got a little too little too deep. Yeah. In the 90s, uh, country songs weren't released uh, really as physical singles and any kind of wide release. Uh, Pop airplay uh, uh, drove the Hot 100 at the time. So a lot of those big country hits from the early 90s just never really had any kind of a chance to be big Hot 100 hits. So that's uh, just kind of how that worked. But just interesting that uh, you'd never think uh, that that was his biggest uh, Hot 100 hit. And it was. It just kind of shows you sometimes how uh, all the different factors that go into making songs hits. Uh, that one just happened to be uh, put out as a full single. And that's that's why it, it, it stands as his biggest Hot 100 hit. little shout out to Chris Gaines. <laughs> the first shout out that Chris Gaines has probably gotten in about 20 years. If, if I can get Chris Gaines as a guest, I'll add him to the list if, as well. If you, Yep, call, call Chris up. Uh, let's get to this week's uh, Industry Insider interview here on the Billboard Charpy Podcast. Andrew Gertler, uh, Sean Mendez manager. You're going to talk about uh, really the fast ride that uh, Sean Mendez has been on since uh, just about 2014 when we first started hearing about him and now to being uh, number one on, on so many different uh, charts on Billboard, the Billboard uh, 200 albums chart, uh, pop songs. Uh, he's been uh, number one on so many charts. We wanted to get the story from uh, our first manager ever on the podcast, talking about what a manager does and, and how uh, Sean Mendez's uh, career specifically uh, has been growing. So Andrew Gertler is our guest on the Billboard Charpy Podcast. Mm-hmm. 
trying to follow where she goes I think about her and she knows it I wanna let it take control Cause every time that she gets closer She pulls me in enough to keep me Andrew Gertler, manager of Shawn Mendes, Billboard's 2017 21 Under 21 champion. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, how you guys doing? Good, man. So Good, New York. So uh, just to uh, round up a couple stats, just uh, top line stuff. Two number one albums for Sean on the Billboard uh, 200 so far. Three top ten singles. Pretty good ride you're on. Yeah, it's been amazing so far. I mean, it's happened so quickly, and you know, for him being so young, it's been just really an amazing thing to to watch and be a part of. So I want to we'll get into the whole uh, uh, story of how uh, you wound up uh, managing Sean. But it is, for me, I'm wondering too. Is your you're a first manager we've had on the podcast? You hear it all yes. the time. Artist manager. It's an, it's so. an honor. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. The, the biggest honor of yeah, all. Yeah, from that's what, great. Yeah, from from. Colonel Tom Parker way back. We got I mean Scooter Braun and, and yourself today. So we we've heard about managers all throughout music history. What exactly does a manager do? Ooh, that's that's a tough one to define. I think a manager does absolutely everything. They do whatever they need to do to make sure the artist's career is staying on track and you know, it's interacting with every aspect of the artist's career, making sure that the artist is okay. And, you know, I think it's probably the hardest to define job in the business, for sure. Do you influence the sound at all or what, what plays? Yeah, I think, it varies, I think it varies manager to manager, but I think a lot of managers have a lot of creative input. And, you know, for Sean and I, we've always been, you know, very close on the creative end and, you know, me making sure that his vision gets, you know, seen through. So a big part of it, I think, is being able to harness the artist's vision and being able to take it and show the world what it is and being able to translate it for people, you know, that's that's really, you know, a big, big part of the job. All right, so take us back to, to how it happened. It sounds it's like one of those classic cases or classic in terms of Vine. You, you saw Sean on Vine. Yeah, so I actually there. found, it was actually, I found a clip on YouTube originally. I was watching The Voice. Um, a Great Big World was performing with Christina Aguilera. And the song, it was the first time I had heard the song say something. So I went onto YouTube, did a search of the song, and the first search result to pop up was Sean's cover video of the song, which at the time had like 200,000 views. And I started clicking through, clicking through to his other covers, found out you know, that he had a fairly big growing following, 
um, and reached out to what at the time was his mom's email address on his Twitter and just said, hey, I'd love to connect with you guys. Tried to convince them for weeks to fly out to New York. Um, finally was able to convince them to fly to New York and took some label meetings with them, became his manager through that process, and it all kind of just spiraled from there. And where were you working? What were you doing then? So I was working at Warner Music Group at the time. I was in the D2C department in the central Warner Music Services. Um, so I was essentially formulating and putting together artist VIP packages at the time at Warner. Um, I was also managing an artist that was signed to Atlantic Records and Rick Ross, Rocky Fresh, um, who I had been managing since college. So I was kind of managing part-time, working at Warner full-time, and uh, found Sean and then ended up leaving Warner to manage him. So how do you, you know, how do you get the managing bug? I mean, we say you're managing Rocky Fresh since college. What, you know, drew you to that to that kind of field? You know, it was kind of accidental. It was I I was I knew I wanted to work in music. I was interning at Atlantic Records during college. Um and a friend of mine called me one day and said, "Hey, you know, I have this friend from our high school that raps. Like you're doing the music internship thing. Are you interested in helping him out?" So I kind of started to lend a bit of advice and then it turned into me managing and kind of felt like at that moment I realized it was really like a passion of mine and the, the route that I wanted to go. So yeah, it just kind of randomly happened. <laughs> I always love those stories when it's like, I mean, you look at like Landau who's just like riding for Rolling Stone and like ends up being Bruce Springsteen's manager. Like at some <laughs> point you just kind of, hey, you're in the business, you know, check this guy out. And next thing you know, you're like riding super high. It's yeah. Crazy. I mean, it, it wasn't intentional. I mean, I always was was very driven to find a space for myself in the music business. I think, you know, probably since I was in high school, I was kind of working at artist merch tables and putting together benefit concerts at my high school and doing whatever I could to be in the business. But I don't think I realized I wanted to be a manager until I actually like was a manager and started managing. So it's really an interesting thing. So it sounds like uh, there's really uh, something in you that wants to get music to fans, if that's sort of uh, you're thinking that you're working at a merch table and, and you're just saying how you want Sean's uh, music to read. It's really just about making yeah. that experience for people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the most gratifying part about being a manager is seeing something go from inception to mass appeal you know, and seeing an audience accept the artist's music, something that the artist has worked on so hard and that you've worked on so hard. And when that, you know, actually is successful and when people are actually appreciating it and loving it like Sean's fans do, that's kind of like, that's definitely what drives me and motivates me. Was it, uh, was it a weird uh, email? You're all of a sudden you're emailing a, a young artist mom out of nowhere? Were they, were <laughs> they, suspicious, or were they just happy? That, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, I th it, was, it was definitely a, an odd thing because I, I was like, oh, maybe I won't even get a reply, you know, who knows. And immediately the next morning, I actually missed a call from her. She left a voicemail and said, hey, please call back. Sean's out of school at 4 p.m. Yeah. So I called the house at like 4 p.m., ended up on the phone with both of them, was really kind of immediately blown away by Sean's ability to to articulate himself. You know, at the time was 
uh, just turned 15. And at the time, he, you know, he was grilling me with questions on our first phone call, like kind of interviewing me from the very start, which was really intriguing to me. So it was definitely one of those things where from the very first phone call, I was like, okay, this is really interesting. You know, I need to figure out how to actually follow through on this. Was there any sort of, I think, for, well, I think for a lot of, of new acts who, you know, come through YouTube or Vine, um, not the tr- traditional channels that labels have, there's this, this sense that, you know, they're not somehow not as legit as other artists. They're not, you know, oh, he's a YouTuber, oh, he's a Vine guy. Did you find any, any resistance at labels where people were thinking, yeah. you know, who, we, should we really take a chance on this guy? Is he really, Yeah, you know, I mean, a, as, um, as we started to take our first label meetings, there was a lot of that stigma. You know, I think... There, it was a combination of things. One was a lot of label people that understood and got it because they felt like Sean, all of that aside, was an amazing artist and he would go in and pick up his guitar and play songs that he had written and people were blown away. So the you know, there were there was definitely a group of people that were just, you know, kind of put the stigma aside and said, Doesn't matter where he came from, where he was discovered, this kid's incredibly talented. Then there was definitely, obviously, a tough stigma to get across. And I think more so that was harder, you know, in the sense of the public-facing stigma where you're like, okay, how do we convince the public that the kid that came from social media is actually very talented, is is a songwriter, is an artist? And I think that's one that, you know, that has been kind of a building process over the years and still is, you know. Um, I think that, you know, he kind of has set the example, though, of someone that can break through that stigma. And you, you said, too, uh, in the 21, under, 21 Billboard feature that uh, it's a good thing in some ways when you start that way uh, on Vine because you have this built-in fan base that's been yeah. following you and they, they want them to succeed. I mean, that's how, like, that's how artists in general are discovered now are by fans first you know i mean you have there are amazing artists right now that you know are have built fan bases for themselves before the industry even knows who they are you know and i think that's kind of the way of the future i think you know people are able to build a fan base for themselves well before they even put out original music which is really amazing i think you know it it the the difficult part is getting through the clutter and I think is is in that sea of people that are doing that being talented enough to really break through and I think that that's really rare and you know I think fortunately for Sean timing was right and you know it, it, it happened for him yeah I think at this point you just sort of think of him as one of the bigger names in pop music and that feels like it's becoming very secondary the way yeah. he started at yeah this and that that was the goal from the beginning was to make sure that that was the case and I, and I think you know now people look at Sean as, you know, a songwriter and a pop star, you know, and I think that's that's what he is. You know, I think it's also, I think, a bit of a, you know, interesting thing because, you know, I think in the future when people look at, like, a new artist that comes from a social media platform, you know, I think less and less people will say, oh, that's the Vine kid or, oh, that's the YouTube kid. I think more and more it's just, oh, that person makes this type of music this is where they may have been discovered from, but it doesn't define them, you know? Yeah, we were, we were talking to and about Kelly Clarkson recently on the yeah. podcast. We are talking about Kelly, Carrie Underwood. Yeah. You still think of American Idol, but it really comes down to uh, the output yeah. uh, of your career. And if you, oh, have, you have enough hits, that's what people think of. Yeah, I mean, you have like, and wonder, like you have all of these artists that have, you know, been birthed now from talent shows. And I think originally it was like, can an American Idol artist be a success? But now it's like, 
you know, there are so many examples of successes that I don't think people still have that associative stigma. Uh, and that's kind of exciting, I would think, as a manager, yeah. knowing that uh, you, maybe, you know, two years from now, there might be a platform we don't even know about yet. Could yeah, be something. absolutely. I think the exciting part is that we're not just reliant on a single set of platforms for artists to be, you know, discovered. And I, and I think, you know, even with streaming now, that's helping in terms of new artist discovery. And like, even every day when I go in on New Music Friday on Spotify, I'm like, discovering a new set of artists that I would have never known about before. Um, and I think what's really kind of, you know, awesome to see is that that's expanding and there are more and more platforms where people can express themselves and where they can share their music or a cover of a song and actually build a fan base. So is New Music Friday where you go the first place to find your new music or what kind of tools do you use to search out for new artists? I, I mean, I always... I'm checking a lot of the Spotify playlists. So kind of like Friday for me is like the day where if I'm going to the gym, I'll check New Music Friday. I'll go on all the playlists and see if there's anything new and interesting. I mean, I will say that I've been busy and with my hands full quite a bit with Sean, so I haven't quite thought as far as picking up another artist. But I mean, in terms of just music that I love and like discovering new music, that's definitely for me. And I think for a lot of the young generation, how they find their music. Um, I mean, Sean does the same thing. You know, I think a lot of his friends do as well. And, you know, I think he, it's amazing every day, like even with how active I am in music discovery every day, Sean will turn to me with a song and say, Hey, have you heard this? And I've never heard of the artist, never heard the song. And it's amazing. You know, it's like, there's just so much out there now. I want to ask about uh, what you think of Sean's growth uh, as a musician, but, but I'm just curious about you. Uh, Is, uh, how does it, how does a manager uh, learn? Is it just on-the-job training? Are there other managers you it, talk you to? Can, you can only, for me, I think you can only really learn as you experience and as you as you grow, you know? And, and it's one of those jobs that doesn't really have, there's no real handbook. I mean, there are managers that have written books, and I've read plenty of music industry books, and Clive Davis wrote an amazing book, you know? But it's like, I just, I think that you can't quite, it's not something that you can kind of study and learn. It's more something that, you know, there are situations that arise and the only way you can learn is through, you know, that happening over and over again. And, you know, now, you know, being through two Sean album cycles, going into the third album cycle next year, we're, I think, you know, both he and I, we've grown to the point where I think we have learned a lot. And and I think part of it too, you know, is not necessarily like for an, for an artist and for a manager, you know, I think what you have to do on a day-to-day basis is highly creative and highly, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's not just um, it's not just like a, a a structured job where you go in and you know you have your daily phone calls so I think like experience is one part of it which is very important but at the same time like Sean and I have both kind of witnessed that having our fingers on the pulse and being able to be in touch with his young audience has been equally important. Can you give us an example? You say you learn on the job a lot, obviously, of one teachable moment where maybe something didn't go as well as you would have hoped or expected and how you learned from that experience? Yeah, so... Zero, he's a perfect, perfect record. Everything's gone well. Undefeated. 
Um, I, I will say, you know, when we put out our first single, when we took our first single to radio, um, which was Life of the Party, um, we were really confident that because we had such critical mass of a fan base that loved the song, that it would just work. And I think the biggest learning experience there was like that it, you know, no matter what the critical mass of people that loved that song was, if it didn't translate to people that didn't know who Sean was, it didn't really matter, you know. And so that first single, you know, we d- it didn't do so well at radio because it, it wasn't a song that was translating to to non Sean fans. And so what we learned was when we were picking our singles in the future was like we don't, you know making music for Sean's fans is number one priority and it has always been Sean's number one priority but we've also learned that we have to make music to grow that base and and a big part of why Sean's songs after that have had radio success is because a lot of them are the songs that you know not only are great for Sean's fans but are really great for the general audience radio audience as well so I think that was a big learning thing for me for sure because I was very confident in that song. The hook of Stitches was just totally undeniable. Yeah. It was the one that broke through. There was almost no way that couldn't be a hit. Yeah, yeah. And it was funny because we it was the third single from that album. You know, we tried two songs at radio before that, lightly, but that was kind of the, you know, the third one that we went with. And it looking back is the obvious no-brainer, but we originally... We were like, okay, well, we're going to go with the songs that Sean's fans have gravitated to and that they've loved. And Life of the Party sold like 150,000 copies in its first week. It was like a massive record-breaking single. So like, oh, this is the no-brainer to us. But in reality, at the end of the day, it's about the song, you know? And, and that really, I think, was a learning experience. I feel like his last three singles have all shown different sides of Sean and, and continued that growth. I treat You Better, I think the production really was so in line with what Top 40 is and kind of hadn't heard that fully polished sound before, uh, before yeah, that song. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because I think Sean, as he's grown, has more and more figured out his lane, you know, and has been able to develop the, this is who Sean Mendez is. And I think it's very hard as a young artist to be able to define that and for people to accept that, um, you know, all of the biggest artists in the world kind of have their own thing. And, it, and, and I think, you know, he's just started to, to define that. I think with Treat You Better to me was the start of that. And now Holding Me Back is kind of a progression of that. Um, and this whole last album, Illuminate, I think was the jumping off point for that. And I think when he, you know, goes in and records his next album that, to me, is going to be the one that helps cement that. Yeah, Mercy really showed a different side. And, yeah. You know, back to a ballad, but he, he so- sounds more confident on yep. it. just sounds like a more fully formed vocalist. On yeah, that I mean, he's he has worked tirelessly to become an amazing vocalist. He, like, you know, really has made that his his all, you know, and, and same thing with being a great guitarist. He's just put so much work into his musicianship over the years. When I met him, he had only been playing guitar for, I think, a little, maybe less than two years. So, I mean, now at this point, you know, as he's developing, he's putting so much time and effort into it, and he's playing a ton of shows every year and kind of actually getting the experience under his belt that he needs to become that amazing artist that he wants to be. And with uh, There's Nothing Hold Me Back, uh, uh, 
can I give can I give uh, advice to the manager of Shawn Mendes? Absolutely. Here? I think I think this song really fits his his voice so well. I I think this could be where he goes a little bit more if he wants to. Kind of that yeah. that grittier sound. I think it just really works well. For yeah, him. absolutely. I, you know, I think he's been listening now to a lot of Kings of Leon and is very much. You know, I think developing into like a rock frontman, and you know he plays with his band now. He started where he was just him and an acoustic guitar on stage. He put a great band together of a bunch of guys from Toronto, um, and he very much I think sees himself and his future path as being a great frontman and being an amazing vocalist. And I think that you know holding me back is kind of a good indication of where it's going to go. But I think it's you know also going to develop even more from there which is what's exciting you talk about uh being on the same page as his manager what if he suddenly said uh, he wanted to do a heavy metal album would you would you sort of question that (laughs) what what, what would you say to that i would tell him maybe wait a few more albums uh (laughs) uh no i mean we're i'm very honest with him so you know i think that's part of why our relationship works and part of why any artist manager relationship works is the the number one thing is that we try to keep the mantra that there are there are no yes men in our like in our circle that we you know can't allow that and that you know anytime we think sean is making a questionable decision or we think that something might not be as good as he thinks it is we're we're telling him you know and i think that's really 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 important for an artist but especially important for a young artist um because he's been not only growing as an artist in front of our eyes but growing up as a person in front of our eyes so we've probably seen him not just through the biggest transformation of an artist as you know he has had but also during a time in anyone's life that's probably the biggest transformation in their life between being 15 and almost 20 you know years old it's like you know that's it's really you go through a lot in those years do you ever uh, see times where maybe things seem a little overwhelming or there's too many things coming at him at once? Do you kind of uh, say, you know, he needs time to be himself? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there have been times, you know, both, I think, on the end of just general health, like where you're like, okay, we're it's December, we're playing a bunch of shows, he's sick, and where we've had to cancel things because it is just too much. And where, like, everyone gets a common cold or flu in December, it's a lot harder to get a common cold or flu when you're... F- flying on a plane every day, playing a show that night, and having to sing. So, I mean, there have been a lot of situations like that where we've had to sit and seriously say, okay, is this thing worth us pushing? And have had to make decisions in the past where we've had to say, no, um, it's not. And I think, you know, the same goes, you know, just in general about, you know, managing the schedule of a young person and, you know, from early on, uh, he, my parent, or he, his parents, and myself really made a point to make sure that, you know, we, although it was happening very fast for Sean, made sure it felt like we were taking it slow and taking it in steps. And, you know, I think so far have done a good job of that. And I think he's managed to stay, you know, on track. But there have been times where, you know, he's turned to me and said, hey, this is too much. And all we can do at those times is say, okay, well, we have to make sure that it doesn't become too much so you're not cracking the whip yeah. saying saying we need to do this no i mean it's it's yeah i think that's the other beautiful thing about young artists right now is how much they dictate their own destiny and and i think what's really amazing is you know not just sean but a lot of the other young artists right now that have 
you know, figured out ways to pave a unique career path. And I don't think there's a formula anymore. There's nothing I can say to Sean, like, you have to do this, you know, for it to work because he came from a place where it was working already, you know, and for him, you know, he, he's the one that's making it work, you know? So I think that's a really interesting, unique characteristic of what's happening in music right now. Do you guys ever uh, look back? It's only been three years, but really, uh, kind of think, wow, we've really come pretty far in just a few years, or is it always every day there's just too much to do? To yeah, well, it's that? funny, because we, we look back and we'll say, like, this has really only been three years. Like, it feels like a lifetime. You know, you travel so much, you've been to so many cities, and you've, you know, you kind of get into this thing where you're, like, you're looking back, you're like, wow, like, that feels like it was 10 years ago, but it was only, like, last year, you know? And I, and I think that's, you know, it, it's gone really fast. Whenever we stop and look back, we're like we have so much more ahead of us because at times Sean and I will both say, Oh, well, we wish we accomplished X thing and we'll, we'll get frustrated. And then we have to look back and say, well, it's only been three years. Like he has his whole life ahead of him. So I think that's one thing that we've tried to keep in perspective a bit. That's, that's funny that you mentioned that because what I was thinking when you were talking at the beginning, when you found him on the episode of the voice with a great big world, I was like, Wait, that that was like that was three years ago. Like that was only three years ago. This yeah. whole journey is like right. come since that moment. Um, and then on top of that, you mentioned, of course, it's only been three years. What do you think are the next steps for Sean? You mentioned, of course, he, when his next album is coming. Do you yeah. have any any groundwork on that started yet, or are yeah, you guys so just he's in the actually we're, uh, he's going to start recording the album. He's been writing songs all year. He kind of has like this ongoing, you know, list of voice notes and things. So he has this huge, you know, amount of rough demos and just songs that he's been writing for the past year while he's been on the road. But we're, he's going to really get in and start actually, you know, recording the album. Um, you know, it'll probably come out at some point next year. We don't know when yet. But first and foremost for us is putting him in a position where he has the ability to make the absolute best album he's ever made and giving him the time to do that. So I think each album we've made it a focus, you know, Illuminate was really the first album where he was able to just go away, really get in, get in and just focus on, I'm going to make an album as a body of work. Before that, when he recorded Handwritten, it was pieced together. We were like flying all over the world and getting in studio sessions between and we said, okay, Illuminate, we're going to go away because he needs to actually have the time to figure out who he is as an artist. And now I think he has a much clearer and more defined vision. So now it's, okay, Sean needs to go away and actually have the time to execute on this vision that he has. Um, so it's, it's putting him in with the best possible producers and making sure that he is in the most comfortable and inspiring situation to be able to record that album. And you're a part of all, like, you know, he does a duet with Camila Cabello. That's that's you being a part of all those yeah, decisions? Or are you driving that? Yeah, a lot. I mean, a lot of it happens, for Sean specifically, a lot of it happens really naturally. I mean, he loves to collaborate with his friends. His closest co-writers are all young guys that have happened to become friends of his. One of his closest co-writers, Jeff Warburton, is a you know, kid from Canada who we originally took out on the road because he was actually coming on board as Sean's guardian, so to speak, because he was the older brother of Sean's best friend. And he happened to play guitar, was writing music and became one of like the most prominent 
one of Sean's co-writers. So it's really interesting because Sean's writing team has remained fairly this like the same over the two albums and going into this next one, he plans to keep it that way. Um, you know, he's worked with different producers through the process and is making sure to keep it fresh by doing that. But yeah, a lot of his collaborations and a lot of the things that he like, you know, a lot of what he does as a musician really is t- is led by what he feels comfortable with and, you know, who he's close with. I know uh, one of his uh, inspirations is Ed Sheeran. He's become yeah. friendly with Taylor Swift. Uh, for Absolutely. you, you sort of uh, get to you get to meet all these people too. Get to be a, it's got to be exciting. For yeah, you, right? yeah, it's it's cool. It's cool. I mean, I I haven't spent it like that that much time with a lot of them. I mean, I spent a good amount of time with Ed, um, and it's really amazing for us to have really early in the process. Sean was able to go out to dinner with Ed and Ed gave him some advice and kind of said to him, you know, keep your head down, keep working, make sure that, you know, you don't stop. And Sean took that advice and then is able to then a couple of years later, you know, see Ed in, in New York and, and for Ed to come out and perform a song with Sean at his Barclays show is kind of like one of those come full circle moments for Sean that really was just exci- really exciting to see. And it's just really cool. You know, I think Sean Sean absorbs advice very well. So I think a lot of people that have given him advice get really excited to see and proud to see that, you know, he's actually taken their advice and really like used it and propelled himself with it. I think it's a good era to, to be a young artist in now, too, because uh, maybe more than ever from uh, with YouTube and, and iTunes, yeah. people have grown up with all different kinds of sounds. There's no barriers. So if someone like Ed Sheeran can go from folk to, to more straight ahead pop and Sean's kind of doing similar yeah. sounds, it's it's kind of more a sky's the limit at this point. Yeah, there's really no barriers in terms of genre or like, it, it, you know, it's more than ever, you know, you can make the music that you want. And more than ever, I think that music you know, can end up on the radio and, you know, there are unique songs, you know, there's so much crossover now that I think the space is, is so undefined that it makes it really exciting to be a young artist and a young artist that can get inventive with the sounds and, you know, with the the genres that they play with. And I think Ed's a great example of that. You know, I think, you know, Sean, you know, is well on his way to being one of those examples as well. So, Uh, Okay. I do have one question as as we move into... Um, SM3, as we'll call the yeah. we'll call the era, Sean Mendes three. Um, do you guys have any any concrete goals that you set out at the beginning of, of these kind of projects? Do you think that okay, with this one, let's let's aim for a number one, or let's right. aim for a Grammy, or let's aim for something like that, or do you yeah. kind of let it be more organic? You know, there are there always are there are always things that we talk about. You know, I think between Sean and I, we try to keep the goals a little looser and less defined because it's always like okay, if we don't get it this time there is the next time and as long as it's moving in the right direction we've you know and as long as you know it feels like growth we've felt like it's a success you know um i mean i think for the next one you know obviously if you're like talking statistics like we we want to have another number one album we want to you know like we want it to be you know more successful than the last album but i think more than anything is he wants this album to be what you know, allows him to be accepted as an artist and a songwriter to households, you know, and to be a household name in that sense. I think that's where his goals lie are more so, you know, are less numbers based, less like a singular achievement and more so, you know, being accepted as an artist. 
since we're billboard, do you guys get tr- truly excited, uh, both yes. you and Sean, when you see number oh, one on a billboard chart? Absolutely. I mean, I think... Good answer. Yeah. yeah the, the, I think there's there's one that we both definitely want, which we haven't had yet, which is the number one Hot 100 for like we really want a single to accomplish that i don't think that that's like gonna kill him if it if it doesn't happen but at the same time you know i think it always drives us when we're like okay well what's the next thing that we can accomplish so you know i think you know having the two number one albums are are you know great accomplishments and the number one pop songs this year was amazing and and i think you know that that's something I think that drives everyone. It's just exciting to see, you know, and to be able to measure those accomplishments, you know. Maybe a goal for when, when he gets older, enters his 20s yes. at some point, when he's much older yeah. than 19. <laughs> well, this is great. Andrew, uh, thanks so much for coming on, explaining all the all the background. This is great to hear. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I'm saying, baby, please have mercy on me and take Sean Mendez on the Billboard Sharpie podcast again. Andrew Gertler, our guest, uh, Sean Mendez manager. Interesting, Trevor, to find out uh, what a manager does. Uh, the whole whole story about that new new Sean Mendez music coming at some point, starting to be recorded. Yeah, I mean, it's always kind of fun. It's always funny to me, I guess, with so many of these artists that you feel like as soon as the album is like done, they're already back in the studio working on the next one. And I know that, you know, I mean, it obviously takes time to record an album, process it, and probably. The when you started writing it, you know, that's been three, four years maybe at this point. And so it feels like it's time. you got a whole new sort of uh, wealth of experiences to draw from. But I'm always just kind of amazed how cyclical it can be. I mean, even when you look at people like like, like The Weeknd, how he did, you know, albums in consecutive years. Rihanna for so long did all those. And maybe they aren't quite as, you know, involved in, in this, the songwriting the way Sean is. So it makes it even that much more impressive that he's aiming to get back in there but um yeah i mean i'm sure you know obviously they're on a hot streak so you want to keep that up as long as possible as well and you know in this environment where we saw with justin bieber how fast you can turn over singles and people don't seem to get bored of them i mean hey go ahead and knock it out and also even before that that next album comes out we've got the mtv unplugged series that he did um a few a few weeks back coming out at the top of november so there's probably going to be a lot of sean mendez to come for the next uh you know six to nine months but, you know, for a guy who's working as hard as he is, who's so involved in every step of, you know, the production from the, from the songwriting to, I'm sure, the production itself, performances, touring, all of that. I mean, it seems like he's still got a great team around him. And I think that's something that's really important, especially for so many of singers of that age. I mean, we've seen so many kids out there stumble, fall, lose their way. And, I mean, Sean really has not had any anything close to that. So great for them. What are we flashing back to this week, Trevor? This, of course, is going to be our last episode before Halloween 2017, which I know everyone's been marking their calendars for since Halloween 2016. And for this one in particular, uh, we'll take it back a little appropriate with the theme that's going on. We'll take it back 55 years, which I know is scary and I know also happens to be Gary's age. But we are going to talk about the one, the only the classic monster mash before i was born so the monster mash which i'm sure everybody knows from if any i mean it just 
is one of those pop culture songs that has become a staple of Halloween in particular. Um, if you have not heard it, by Bobby Boris Pickett and the Crypt Kickers. So the song, you know, as everyone I'm sure knows about the scientist who, who brings a monster to life and then the monster turns into a dance. Starts dancing out of nowhere. Fun little bop. Um, kind of so many fun facts about this little song. Um, so it was originally a hit back when it came out in 1962 on the Hot 100. Uh, got to be a number one hit, believe it or not. One of those things that you, I guess in a way that you could think of it as like a predecessor of sort of a viral challenge or something. Right. Well, these sort of novelty yeah. hits out of nowhere that right. was just so hot. So, I mean, the timing was so right. It came out in August, so it had time by October that people knew about it nationwide. Um, was number one for two weeks right before Halloween 1962. And it's also one of those songs we've seen over the years get several reiterations. Um, the original itself has come back on the charts twice in 1970 for a couple of weeks and also in 1973. So Still before I was born, by the way, 73. Okay, okay. all right, sure, 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 sure. Barely. All together spending 37 weeks in the Hot 100, uh, including those two weeks at number one. And it's also, as we've seen kind of in the past, with Macarena and a few other songs. Uh, the song was such a big hit at the time and such a novelty that it inspired other versions. There's actually a, a Monsters Holiday version. So kind of like how Macarena had a Macarena Christmas. Somebody said it's a hit for Halloween. Right. Why not make it a hit for Christmas as well? Uh, Short Life on the Hot 100 only lasted six weeks around Christmas time, but got to number 30. So another top 40 hits spun off from that. Also credited to Bobby Boris Pickett and the Crypt Keepers. So one of those little songs that, that kind of keeps on giving. And funny enough, uh, it kind of has gone back around in 2017 as well because there was a tweet a few weeks ago um, that went around got kind of viral that, that people noticed that the Monster Mash always, of course, associated with Halloween, with what's going on, you know, around October time. But the lyrics themselves never, never are specific about what the event is, what's going on. It's, it's not a Halloween song based purely on the lyrics. Right, I saw that. But the graveyard smash, the graveyard is mentioned. Yeah, but I mean, it's, you know, it's a monster come back to life. I mean, it, it doesn't say it's a, you know, a Halloween smash or a, or a you know, trick or treat or anything specific that would give it you know, a Halloween kind of edge. But when would you expect the monsters to be dancing around a graveyard? They, uh, yo, monsters, monsters can do whatever they want, Gary. See, you only think about them on Halloween. But they've got 364 other days out there they're living to. And suddenly, to my surprise, he did the monster match. It was a graveyard smash. It caught on in a flash. He did the monster match. From my laboratory in the castle. I have a ghost story. Can I tell you a ghost story? I don't. I don't know if it's a ghost story. I feel like it might be a ghost story. Well, let me ask you, have you ever, and a completely serious question, have you ever had any kind of supernatural experience? Um, can't say, can't, I mean, I'm, I'm, maybe there's like one little stupid thing that I can, that I can't think of, but I can't, there's no paranormal activity or anything right. I can think of where I'm like, oh, my house is haunted or anything like that. Right. I assume you have No, something? it's not like I saw something floating across the, the room or anything like that. But uh, one thing I've just I've always thought of, and I, I still to this day really don't know what happened. Uh, I was doing uh, overnights on radio. It was a WXLO in Worcester. Uh, so it was the station. Uh, it, it's it's in the city, uh, and you look out the window, and there's just a, there, there's a street, there's a mall uh, across the street, but 
you know, on the overnight at you know, three in the morning or whenever you know, you're looking out the window on the overnight, there's no one around. So you just you sort of feel like you're just in the city by yourself. It can be a little bit a little bit eerie, but you don't really expect to see anyone uh, uh, outside on the street. It's not like they're, you know, they're they're really well traveled streets in the middle of the night. I was doing the overnight at one point. This was uh, about twenty years ago. Uh, I looked out at one point, saw a bus pull up. Uh, be, uh, on the street, right in front of the radio station, between the mall and the radio station, which was oh, okay, odd, in the middle of the night for this to be happening. Saw some people get out, and it was uh, the, the, the couple. I always remember it was an older guy and an older woman, dressed in like really fancy suit and, and a hat and, and 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 a dress for for the woman, really dressed nicely, and they were laughing. And sort of moving and sort of this this slow motion kind of movement. I, I swear there was some sort of glow about them. And the whole thing just looked really – it just didn't look real. It stuck with me the whole time. I, I honestly – why would there be a bus stopping at 3 in the morning in a street where there's just really no one throughout the whole night? Why would they be getting off? Why would they be laughing? The whole thing just seemed, seemed really weird. And I, I don't necessarily believe in any of this kind of stuff. It, it just – it seems so – so weird that this would happen, but but it did happen. I've, I've just I've never known what to make of it. Since we're analyzing dreams earlier, any any thoughts on this? So you expect me to believe you were at the radio station. You saw. I mean, so just the bus pulled up. The couple got off. Did they vanish? Did they just? Did the bus float? Like nothing vanished. They didn't uh, just uh, dissolve. It, I suppose that would have been. A little bit more. I mean, that more uh, yeah, I would be a little concerned about that. Yeah, for sure. I, I could only assume they were maybe like coming from from like Foxwoods Casino or something, or, or, or Mohegan Sun, and just somehow were maybe? or you know just had dinner yeah. or somewhere. But they, they looked older. They they just they looked like they were from another era, and it was just weird at that time of night. I'd never seen anything like that before. So or what after. do you what do you think you saw? It was either people coming back from from dinner or somewhere being dropped off for no reason in the middle of the street. In the middle of the night, I don't know. I don't. I, just, I honestly, it's the one thing that's ever happened to me that I, I've just kind of questioned what what that could have been. Maybe they liked my overnight shift so much they they came to tell me. Maybe there was the only people listening to me on the on the overnight at that point. I didn't even have uh, real live listeners. <laughs> yeah, maybe your only listeners were were the phantoms you imagined. That, that's not good ratings. Well, uh, I want to give a shout out, of course, to our real listeners out there for for entertaining these stories. And uh, hopefully they have a good Halloween as well. Flashing forward to next week, we will be back, of course, to talk about, as mentioned earlier, where Taylor Swift's new song, Gorgeous, is going to show up on the Hot 100. Um, We'll see if Rockstar and Post Malone can hold on for a third week at the top. And, of course, speaking of all the rap hits we've talked about um, in the past couple months on the Hot 100, if not really going as far back as Kendrick this year, we're going to be joined by a few of our colleagues here um, at the Billboard and Spin Media Group. And we're going to have a little rap roundtable discussion about uh, the state of rap music and in particular its relationship to pop radio and what some of, what some of the friction is there and maybe what we can do going forward to, uh, to see if some of these streaming songs can get their due on the radio as well. So it'll be Gary, myself, joined by a few others, so make sure you don't miss that. And as always, we want to leave you with a good song in the spooky spirit. We're going to turn to the Millennials' favorite movie soundtrack, the Disney Channel original movie Hocus Pocus starring Bette Midler and everyone's favorite song from that 
the Bette Miller version of I Put a Spell on You, because that's if you grew up between 1988 and at least 1995, you know this every year. You looked forward to it. Bette Midler kills it. And so we're going to leave it with her as Winifred. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.